All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what I'm going to do um, in this uh, sermon this afternoon is draw attention especially to verse 17. We're going to kind of pick away at that and unpack it and hopefully um, bring out a few things there that you may not be aware of, all right? So now I want to draw your attention to uh, Q&A 88 through 90. And um, I will read the question, and then together um, let's uh, give the answer. So here's the question. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? Let's say together. It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. And what is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. And we're going to leave out Q&A 91. We'll be dealing with that in uh, uh, a couple of weeks. Just a reminder to us again, for those of us who are here, that we are not going to be worshiping in this building next um, Sunday afternoon, but we're going to be worshiping at the Trinity Christian Reformed Church. We're going to be trying out that facility, and who knows, maybe the Lord will lead us to worship there on a regular basis or not. We don't know for sure, but what we know now is that God has provided us a place here um, this afternoon. So, um, This afternoon, we're going to look at what conversion is. And if you've been raised in the church, the word uh, conversion is a word that you're familiar with. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that we completely understand what conversion is, but at least we have heard of that, okay? And for, for anyone who... And, and there's 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 phrase that the Bible uses all the time. Talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What it means is this: is that when it, when a person is in Christ, that is when they have come to the end of their lives and come to the to to the kind of to a dead end in dead end in their lives, and they realize that Jesus is true and that God sent Jesus into the world to reconcile them to God by means of his death on the cross, so that they might have the forgiveness of sins and the clothing of Christ's righteousness that puts them in a right relationship with God, whereby he declares to them, you are now mine. No longer are you unrighteous in my sight, but you are righteous, and I receive you. When a person is in Christ in that way, which comes by means of repentance and faith, That person is converted. 
And conversion is essentially the, 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 at least the word for repentance, which is part of conversion, the word metanoia, which is really means a, a change of mind, and we could also add a change of heart. And so what conversion is, and I've explained this to you before, uh, noting that when I was in the military, you learn drill and ceremony, right? You learn right face, you learn left face, and then you do an about face. And when you are converted, what's happening what has happened to you is that you've experienced an about-face in your life. There's a complete change in your life. And and listen, um, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian here this afternoon, you have, not only are you converted, but you have a conversion story. Do you know that? Everybody's got a story. And sometimes that story is radical and sometimes it's not. Sometimes people have a story whereby they were suddenly converted and sometimes very gradually converted. And um, this, is, this is an interesting thing. Sometimes you, you have uh, people who grew up in the Christian faith, right? And they, they oftentimes, you know, sometimes they'll meet, a, they'll meet very zealous uh, Christian, other brothers and sisters in Christ, and then they'll kind of press them and say, well, you know, when were you converted? Because they're looking for that, that day and that hour, sometimes that very minute, and sometimes people who are raised in the Christian faith will have a hard time with that, and they'll say, I, I don't know the exact day or the exact hour or the exact minute. All I know is that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and then the other person's like, they almost question their conversion because they don't have a suddenly dramatic story to give with that, Right? And I remember when I was in um, uh, Springfield, Missouri, doing church planning, we had a guy next door who was, a, it was an attorney. I got to know him, and we'd go on walks together. And so one time I said, well, let's go on a, uh, let's go on a walk. And so we were walking together, and he, w- he had a very dramatic conversion story where he was invited to this large Baptist church in Dallas, Texas. And he said, i got to tell you, Phil, he said, when, when that preacher started to preach, it was like, it was, I almost felt like hurricane force winds, and I was way back in the balcony, and he said, I literally had to feel like, I, I felt like I had to hold on to the railing of that balcony lest I'd be blown away. I mean, that was, that was his experience. So he shares that with me, and he says, okay, well, what, you know, what, what, what's your story? So I'm walking along, I said, so I tell him this story about being raised in a Christian family, and I, I won't go into all the details, but I had a wonderful mother and father, and they served the kingdom together, and my dad being a professor, and, and, and my mom just be teaching part-time, but also being an at-home mom, and I was raised in the Christian faith and all of that, and I had a beautiful background, but anyway, and I would tell him, you know, I, I got to say, I went through some rough periods, but there was never a time in my life where I thought, I, I didn't know Jesus. It's just like I knew him ever since I was a toddler, you know, and, and then I said, this, that's not much of a story compared to yours. And he stopped in the walk, and he looked at me, and he said, I got to tell you, that's the best story I ever heard. So if you've, you've had the privilege of being raised in the Christian faith, never poo-poo that. That's, 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 that's a grace that works successively in generations. People call it covenant succession. That's, that's, that's a, don't, don't ever be ashamed of that story. It's a beautiful story. But whatever the case, whether your conversion is dramatic and sudden or whether it's just very gradual and kind of subdued or quiet, the fact of the matter is... Whatever your story, we share a conversion experience. And when you are converted through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, our text tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 that you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's translated new creation or new creature. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be a new creature in Jesus Christ? I mean, 
if it's all a part of our conversion, then we should know that, right? So I want to get into that. I just want to bring out a couple of things from 1 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a little bit technical tonight. And it's not to sound smart or anything like that, but just to help us to grasp in a more definitive way what it means to be a new creature in Jesus Christ. So let's begin with this. Why don't you take a look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, or we could say she, is a new creation, or some translations have it, he or she is a new creature. Now, the, and again, this has to do with, the con, with, with being converted to Jesus Christ, being reborn, but also being converted. And, and that is this. There, there are actually two words for new in the original language. Um, the first word is new in terms of renovation, and the second one is new in terms of a brand new existence. Okay, so if you want to put a little tangible meat on that, let me, let me provide a little bit of analogy. Um, let's say you have a, a guy in Abbotsford, and maybe some of you guys here, maybe some women too, I don't know, but mostly guys, uh, maybe you like working on cars. And let's say you are, as a guy, you're, you like to work on cars, and you are looking for a particular car. In fact, you're looking for a 1970 uh, Chevelle SS, and you're looking for either a small block 396 or a large block 454 with a four-barrel. In other words, you're looking for a nice muscle car. And let's say you find one for the sake of the store. Let's say you find one in Mission. And you go there, and you look at that car, and you go, hmm. It's going to need some work, but that actually that's exactly what I'm, I'm looking for. And as a guy, you're going with some skill, you're going to go, I, I know what to do with that car. So let's say you buy the car and you take it home, and over two years' time, with the spare time, you start working on that car. And uh, let's say you rebuild the engine somewhat. Uh, let's say the interior kind of smells. You're going to work on that a little bit. It needs new suspension. It needs some body work. and certainly needs a new paint job. But let's say after two years, you're done with that car, and you look at that car, and that's a sweet, sweet car. Now, when you're done with that work, are you going to say that's a brand-new car? Well, in some ways, it may seem like a brand-new car, but you realize it's really a rebuild. It's a renovated car, even though it looks almost like new. Okay? But let's say... Um, you're the kind of guy that goes, you know what, I don't know how to rebuild cars. So what you do is you're going to go to a park, you're going to go a lot or whatever, and you're, gonna, you want, you're looking for a particular, I don't even think they make Chevelles anymore, frankly. Maybe they do, I don't know, you can correct me, but I don't think so. But anyway, you're, you look for a Camaro, and you're looking for an SS Camaro, and you find that car, and let's say you have the money to buy it, and you buy it, and you sit in that car, and you smell that interior, and you fire that thing up, and it takes off like a rocket. You know you're driving a new car, right? So what's the difference? It's the difference between a renovated vehicle and it's the difference between a brand new vehicle, fresh new existence, right? It's the same thing when, when you are born again by the Spirit of God where new life is infused in you, taking that which is naturally spiritually dead and making it alive, and that comes through the working of the Holy Spirit. And when, in, as a result of that, you express repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you are converted. As a reborn, converted individual, you are a new creature in Jesus Christ. You're not a renovated person. You're not like that old person with a few new things attached, spiritual things in your life. You have a fresh new existence. You have a new set of commitments. You have a new set of convictions. You've got a new trajectory. You know where you're going in Christ. Every converted person 
is that fresh new person. A lot of times you got people who, 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 who think that they're converted, but what they're really doing is they're just taking some of the old baggage from their former life and they're taking it in with them and they're really expressing over time, they're not really genuinely converted. They don't have that fresh new existence. They want to take that old man with them, that old person with them. Okay? Now, just moving on. Here's the thing, though, and pastors deal with people like this all the time. And that is, sometimes you deal with an individual where you start interacting with them and they're, they're struggling with a particular sin in their life, or they're struggling with a past that just keeps resurrecting itself in their life, and they're struggling with that, and here's, here's the thought in their mind. You ask them the question, okay, um, do you believe that, that you're a Christian? Well, yeah. Do you want to follow Jesus? Yeah. Do you, do you enjoy worshiping with the people of God? Yeah, I do. I keep going back to church and all that, okay. Um, so, they, they express all these things, but then what they do is they confess that I, I'm dealing with this particular issue in my life or this particular sin, and it's a particular sin that keeps rising, and I'm having a hard time putting this to death, right? We have dealt with it before in this congregation. You heard me preach like this before, and these, these people are struggling, so they're, they're struggling really with their status in Jesus Christ, and it's like, like so they're like this. If, if I really am Christian and I am I'm genuinely walking with Christ and I'm genuinely converted, then why do I keep falling into this, these kinds of sins? And it gets so bad after a time that they start questioning, In, am I even really converted? There's a concern about that. Well, what do you do with that, right? Let's move on in the text. One other technical point. So stick with me here. If anyone is in Christ through repentance and faith, if anyone is genuinely born again and converted by the Spirit and Word of God, that person is a new creation. There's a fresh new existence. Now, notice what happens afterwards in the text. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're a new creature in Jesus Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come. The old what? The what we call, call it the old Adam. So you have in the Bible, you have two Adams. You have the first Adam, the old Adam, and you have the new Adam. You have the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The old, the old sinful nature that is under the dominion and the power of sin is all connected with the old Adam, the first Adam. And when you are born again by the Spirit of God and you are converted to Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, that old Adam dies. That, that, that person who is caught in the grip of, of the power and the dominion of sin and enslaved to sin, that has died. And that, the, the reason why I say that, and, and that's a very definitive thing, and the reason why I say it's a very definitive thing, where that old person actually dies, and there's no levels of death. You're either alive or you're dead. And when that old person that, that person under dominion and the power and enslavement of sin, when that dies, that comes, and here's the technical point. Grammatically, that comes in the aorist tense. So an aorist tense is, 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 a, is an action that, this, that happens decisively in the past, and it's a completed action. 
So to put it simply, when you think of an aorist tense, think of a period at the end of a sentence. So you write out a sentence, and when there's a period there, that means that that sentence is done. So too, that old person is done. So that old person dies, but what something then comes to life. And what comes to life? The old person passes away. Now the new person comes about. But here's the thing in the original language. When the new comes about, that's not in the aorist tense, but it's in what we call the perfect tense. That is, it's something that has a definitive beginning, but it's not yet completed. And so this is what happens, to, to put it to... to, to put this, um, just to put an end to this, when you are converted to Jesus Christ, whether it happens gradually or, or suddenly, when you're converted to Jesus Christ, that old Adam, that old commitment to the power and dominion and enslavement to sin is put away, it's gone, and now this new direction occurs in your life. You become a brand new person with a fresh new existence. But here's the thing. It's not like suddenly you become a perfect person. What happens is that though the power of sin has been broken, there are still remaining vestiges or remnants of sin in our lives that continue to affect us and afflict us, causing these feelings at times, because life is like this, giving us feelings sometimes like, man, if, I am a, if I'm a Christian, if I'm really a new creature in Christ, well, why, why, why do I keep struggling? Well, it's because the new person is continuing to emerge. And that new person in you will never really fully emerge until when? To give the last breath of this life and you enter into glory. That's when the complete new person has come about. You don't have to struggle with sin anymore. You don't have to deal with the remnants of sin anymore. That battle, that ongoing battle, thank God, is done. But for now, right, we just continue to struggle here and there, don't we? You know that, right? That's, the, that's the, really the fight of our lives. So in a sense... What you have in the Christian life is you have, when you're in Christ, you, you have this point of rebirth and what we call initial conversion. You repent and you believe in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. Because of those remnants of sin in our life, we have to continue repenting and continue believing and continue taking hold of Jesus Christ so that over time we put away the remnants of sin and we start looking more and more and more like Jesus Christ. This is why when you take a look at the, the, the catechism, it treats the whole um, understanding that we have of conversion and what we call sanctification, that is progressive holiness in Christ, in a very gradual way. There's a the definitive time when we repent and believe in Jesus, but there's this ongoing need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Can you put it up there? Take a look at that if you would. What is true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. That happens both definitively in our lives, initially, but it's also ongoing in our lives. Okay, well then the question is, what is the dying of the old nature? What is that? Well, it looks like this. It's the grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. 
Then go to 90, if you would. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. You know what? Theologians years ago used two terms to describe this. It's called mortification, vivification. Those are big words, what do they mean? It means that, that when you are truly converted in Christ, the way you know that you are a child of God and that you are truly converted is if you experience mortification and vivification. That means when you mortify yourself, that means you're dying to yourself. You're, you're, you're killing the old ways in you. And the more you do that, the more you realize that this new person that you are in Jesus Christ is growing and it's deepening and you experience a great joy of that. And my friends, listen, this, this is the battle of our lives as Christians. Okay? And if you got, if, man, if you don't have any battle going on in your life, and if there's no ongoing struggle with sin and finding rest in Jesus Christ, then you're not in the fight. You're just not in the fight of life. It is the fight of our lives. And, you know, there, there are far better people who have gone on before us who have experienced this fight, this, this war within between what the Bible calls the flesh and the spirit. And it's like this. It's always tugging at us. No matter how good a Christian you are, there's always that struggle. In fact, in fact, here's the thing. Here's the irony of it. The, more, the closer you draw to Jesus Christ, the more you feel the fight. Right? The closer you draw to Christ, the more you feel that fight. And it is the fight, it is the fight, indeed, of our lives. The Apostle Paul experienced that, remember, where he said in Romans 7, and, and I hope we can all identify with what he says in Romans 7, where he says, oh, that what I want to do, I don't do, and that what I don't want to do, I end up doing. Wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free from the body of this death? Well, we know the answer to that, right? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So, my friends, this is, this is why we need Jesus. And this is why we need his spirit to work in our lives. Working in us and through us so more and more we might repent. More and more we might believe. More and more we might be transformed in this fight of faith to look like Jesus. I want to I I draw to a close in just a moment, but I want to I give you an analogy of this because um, sometimes when people are in this fight against sin and they're struggling with, are, are they even really converted? They want to give up. And you can't, you can't give up. You can't give up. And I tell you, this, this, this fight that you want to give up at some times, you want to, you want to give up because it's really painful. And it's, and it's shameful at times. So let me, let me give you just a quick analogy. Many of us have heard of the writer C.S. Lewis. And C.S. one of the many books that C.S. Lewis wrote was a, a, a book called The Dawn Treader. And, and one of the significant figures in The Dawn Treader is a little boy named Eustace. And one day, um, I'll leave a lot of details out, but, but one day, Eustace, uh, he went to bed at night. When he woke up, he realized that he had turned into a dragon. So he looked in the mirror and he sees this, no longer does he see this fine little boy, he sees this dragon. 
And he realizes that he not only looks like a dragon, but he takes on the characteristics, the qualities of a dragon in his life. And his friends no longer want to be his friends anymore because he looks like a dragon and he acts like a dragon. And, and poor Eustace, he feels awful about himself and he feels lonely and all, and all of that. And he realizes that now that he looks like a dragon, he cannot change himself back into the little boy. Enter in the significant figure in C.S. Lewis' writings. It's Aslan the Lion, who's a picture of Jesus Christ. And it's Aslan the Lion who, as a lion, has these long claws. And with those claws, Aslan, in mercy, starts to peel away the scales of the dragon hide that encases Eustace. And, and he describes it in this way. If you could look up, there it is, from the Dawn Treader. He said, the very first tear that he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he pulled the beastly stuff right off. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a stick peeled of his bark. And Luce goes on to write, from that point on, Eustace was a different boy. He had... Uh, to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. You, you, so I underlined the word began. He began to be a different boy, right? Just like when we become a new creature in Jesus Christ, we begin to emerge as part of that new person. He had many relapses, but most of those I will not describe. The cure had begun, and hopefully you can kind of identify with little Eustace there, you know. When a person is converted, sometimes it's very gradual, it's very quiet and painless. And for some people, when they are converted to Jesus Christ, because they got to die to themselves, that can be a very painful thing. It's like, it's like scales of the dragon being ripped off. And what they find when they become a new creature in Jesus Christ is, oh, thank God those scales are off, and oh, the skin is just smooth as a tree rid of its bark. But then he goes on to say, but poor Eustace, like all of us, even though he's got that smooth skin now and he's, he's gotten rid of the dragon hide, he still has relapses into the old dragon ways. But, as Lewis says, the cure, thank God, had begun. So, brothers and sisters, this is the fundamental calling of every one of us. The call is to repent. And the call is to believe in Jesus Christ. And if you have never come to that point, that's the mission call of Jesus. He said, don't continue living in that unrepented and unbelieving state. He says, come. The invitation is always there. Come to me. And don't think you've done so many awful things in your life and you're just such a despicable person. You've got so much dirt in your life that, that, that Christ will never receive you. The invitation is always there. And it's free. Come. Come. It goes out to every one of us, and we're all called to come to Christ, and we're all called to do that about face and to become converted. And I will leave you with this. Um, this is this, this, this conversion and this continual fight of faith, of ongoing conversion in, that li in our lives. That's not something that, that we can bring about in our own strength. Not at all. 
but we have to cry out for the mercies of Christ. You know, um, Jesus says this. I'll leave you with this, okay? Jesus says, John 15, verse 5, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the Apostle Paul puts it more positively, not to diminish the words of Jesus, but he said, I can do all things, but through him who strengthens me. So I leave you with this. Never, ever doubt the willingness of God to give you the strength that you need to draw near to Christ. All you have to do is what? Just got to ask. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and that door will be open to you. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask. Ask and it will be given to you so that your joy will be made full. And also, as I quoted, I believe it was in prayer, um, I don't know, a little while ago, Jesus says this, and you've heard this from this podium many, many times. Jesus says, Again, if earthly fathers do give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And what prevents us from asking now, right? Let's do that. Let's pray together, and then we're going to have some uh, Q&A time. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the gospel. And thank you, O God, for your grace, your restorative grace in our lives that takes us out of the realm of death and into the realm of life, out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your light. And Father, we pray that if we are here this afternoon and we have never known or experienced the beauty and the blessing of conversion, oh God, we pray that you will descend with power from on high and you would make our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, and that you will mold our wills and shape us in order to draw near to Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we look at our lives, and we look at our lives and say, you know what, I know that I'm a child of God. I'm not perfect. I struggle, but I know I'm a child of God. Oh, Father, continue working in us by your word and spirit to more and more die to the old ways and come alive in Jesus Christ that we may know him and the power of his resurrection in our lives and that we may already in this life receive a foretaste of the eternal perfect blessedness to come. So God, we pray for that. And we know you love to hear these kinds of prayers and you love to answer them. Do that for us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I did not mention this earlier, but I think you saw that um, on the screen that there is, and is that num can you put that number back just a moment? Uh, there you go. This is my cell phone number, 480-258-1358.